0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of A Priest and A Rabbi. Uh, this is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart, Florida. Uh, and next to me is the man who really runs the whole show here, the man I look up to. He might be four feet shorter than I am, but I look up to his wisdom. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin. Hey, buddy, you ready for another one of these?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always ready. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting one today. Why is You
0: always say that. You always say it's going to be exciting. Now, why is today going to be exciting? You either say it's going to be exciting or interesting.
1: Because, you know, we have a, we have a great guest on uh, for today. We are also tackling, tackling an issue and a concept um, that is rooted in the Bible, in looking at, you know, sabbaticals, looking at, the, you know, the ability, of, um, uh, the ability to, to release burden, to release debt, to release, you know, the, the challenges that persist in our society. Um, so I think it'll be a very interesting conversation. I'm, I'm really are excited. Are you talking
0: about the Jubilee?
1: i am talking about the jubilee
0: okay guys today we're talking about the jubilee and we're going to bring in a jubilee a, a jubilatory kind of person he looks like billy mays hayes but he is our own billy campbell bill campbell from the episcopal church foundation just flew in on zoom airlines brother are you are you are you elated are you excited are you nervous are you just doing this because you're a friend of ours and that's why you're on the show today
2: uh, I'm very passionate about this subject, uh, and and as y'all will discover through this, is that I, I know a little about a lot of it, and so I, I get to play with some fun concepts, um, but I am nervous. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here talking about money and, and about our institutions and um, things that I think we should do, and so I I'm looking forward to the conversation and then looking forward to apologizing to my boss at the end of it. <laughs>
0: All right, guys. It's about to get crazy. Uh, I'm going to put on my priest collar right now. It's sticking to my forehead because of my vaccine. It makes me have things stick to me now. Um, but um, let's get ready to rock and roll. Bill Campbell's here with Rabbi Durbin's Evan, our producer, is hitting some buttons. Episode number 128 starts now.
1: A rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi!
0: The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bethanyam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or a Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. All right, all right, all right. Good morning, Stuart, Florida, and from all those around the world, as you know, we are huge in Yemen on our podcast. If you think I'm lying, check the stats. This is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church. Next to me is the gorgeous, the most handsome, most uneligible bachelor rabbi you have seen because he is married to Rose Durbin with three beautiful daughters. My friend who left me last week, you are back. Rabbi Durbin, welcome back to the show, brother. I missed you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a while. I've uh, I've missed seeing your shining face. I just want to make sure you paid your Wi-Fi bill this week because the other week when you were on, you're you, you, we lost you like three times. And if... Uh, you know, I know a guy in the church, in the Episcopal Church, who has a lot of money. He looks like a lumberjack, but he would probably hook you up if you we need to get your Wi-Fi, uh, you know, better. Because I don't want to lose you. I don't want to lose you today. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Extremist. Okay, cool. So, Comcast uh, Rabbi Durbin.
1: Increased my, my bandwidth.
0: <laughs> um, so I, I trust you had a, a wonderful vacation with your family
1: We, uh, we had a great time. We, uh, we took a few days and spent a lot of time with the kids and, uh, yeah, kind of after school, end of year kind of celebration. So it was great. It
0: was great. All right. So if you guys are new to the show, Rabbi Durbin's over at Temple Bet Chaim. I'm over at St. Mary's Episcopal Church. We get together all the time for this radio show every Friday. It gets edited into a podcast and beamed across this world. Uh, But we also always try to bring on guests who are going to rattle us, challenge us, and hold us accountable and challenge our interfaith brotherhood that we have here. Um, And so today is no different that we are bringing in a big dog who is not afraid of rattling cages. Um, His conversations are so potent. He has leaders in the church saying, I could get fired by just meeting with you. Um, and so we are happy that our producer has a bleed button today, because um, we don't know what's going to come out of his mouth. I'm, I kid, I kid. He's a very bright, uh, wonderful human being, a gift to the church. Um, he is Bill Campbell. And uh, let me tell you about who, 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 this, who this gentleman is. Uh, he's been working for the Episcopal Church for over 20 years. He started as a volunteer children's minister in his teens Now, fast forward many years, he goes on to become the executive director of FORMA, which is a a big, it's a network of Christian formation. Takes that, it gets merged with this thing called ECF, the Episcopal Church Foundation. And now he's the director of institutional advancement. Um, I know him from uh, many things, uh, working at the Virginia Theological Seminary, where he raised millions of dollars. Uh, But he also had the, 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 Cajones, let's say to put together a huge conference of all the episcopalians because there's all these different episcopal conferences around the country some people talk about discipleship formation some talk about evangelism he said let's put you all in the same sandbox and uh, helped form this thing called rooted in jesus rooted in jesus that was in atlanta hotlanta uh, and it was a powerful powerful uh gathering that really spoke to the power of uh, of the spirit of the church and say, why are we all in different sandboxes? Let's get in the same one and, and make a powerhouse. Uh, Bill's going to be talking about today, a similar type idea though, but doing that with all of our money. And <laughs> how do we do that with the Episcopal Church, is the old country club denomination that is now walking and following Jesus. What if we took all that money that we've been so good saving and used it to make a huge splash to really shift and change, uh, many people's lives, and hopefully the whole structure of how we do things here in this country. Um, so we'll be talking about the year of Jubilee. What does that look like from Leviticus 25? How does that make sense today? Uh, and is Bill crazy, or is Bill really onto something? Um, so Bill Campbell, welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi.
2: Thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's really a pleasure. I'm a big fan of the show. Uh, so long-time listener, first-time caller, thanks for having me. Yeah, the truth is you've never heard the show before in your whole life. Come on. <laughs> Come on guys. Okay. It's so, a better, it's a better story the way I tell it. All right. Like it is, it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. So just so you guys know, if you're confused, if you want to get a, if you're in your car right now, driving down federal highway, Bill Campbell looks like Billy Mays and he's wearing a lumberjack shirt. So
2: I just allow that ladies I, to, to just, I pulled this out of the closet and I was like, Oh, red's a nice color. And then I'm sitting here and I'm like, I look like I'm about to go challenge Paul Bunyan to uh, a tree chopping down contest. So yeah, really look with at the a start. flaming lion behind you on the wall. This lion yeah, I mean, has just a, a to me. a painting uh, by a friend and colleague, Roger Hutchison, um, and uh, it's beautiful. Uh, it, it, I, I love it, and I love being able to sit in front of it and do my work my, uh, my, since the pandemic started, my wife is not working from home and she kind of took the office. And so I have to sit at my dining room table to do my work. So,
0: <laughs> well, yeah. So, so lumber and lions will be the third chapter of your, of your memoir. Uh, the fourth <laughs> chapter being when I was Billy Mays. So, uh, all right. So let's first parse out this idea of the Jubilee. So, uh, rabbi, we're going to lean on you on this one. Um, when people talk about the year of Jubilee from Le- Leviticus 25, what does that all entail? And why would that have been created in
1: the book of God? I mean, I think first, uh, as you said, I think we need to parse out the word Jubilee, right? In Hebrew, we use the word yovel, which means um, um, it's the end of a cycle. And we would say that the cycle is a seven-year cycle so that at the end of that cycle, all debt, so to speak, is, is released. So the debts that would be released would be, um, uh, you would free Hebrew slaves, those in prison would be freed, uh, all debts would be released and forgiven. Um, So all of this stuff in terms of trying to improve in some way and have uh, some relative calm within the land itself. But yeah, the Jubilee year uh, being the end of the seventh year going into the eighth year, uh, uh, having that opportunity to, uh, to cancel all debts. Okay, so you cancel all debts.
0: So that means if 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 anyone owes you, you own have a piece of property. Someone owes you three thousand dollars, three thousand shekels, three thousand whatever, forgiven, done. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then and then so where's the fiftieth year part come in?
1: However, I do think also that in some way, you know, we look at debt, and are we saying that all debt is canceled, or perhaps in our modern day context, saying. Interest on that debt is canceled, right. so I think in a modern day context, we're talking the interest that is to be paid is to be canceled. The debt itself still needs to be honored, but in terms of releasing that that burden upon that debt uh, to be released. Right, it's really about user. User, user. I'm going to I butchered that word. Wow. All right,
2: get off to a great <laughs> start. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, um, So I just the reason why I'm laughing is Bill's never short for words. And the first time out of the gate, he trips over one, which is so on Bill. Uh, But why, what is the theological reasoning behind this? Why would the people of God be called to practice this, this year of Jubilee, which also involves the freeing, the freeing of slaves? Why, why would, why would
1: God want this for his people? I mean, I think, I think on the one hand, it, 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 it shows compassion and understanding, right? If I take on a debt and I'm struggling and I'm trying as best I can, in some way, there needs to be some divine compassion or human intervention that has the ability to say, I understand, and we know times are tough. That there's that added element of, of community in some way to be able to help you through the challenges that you may be, uh, you know, persisting with.
0: Okay, so when did because I, I can already hear the political voices of 21st century America coming in saying you're just creating uh, victims, you're enabling people to just rely upon the goodwill of others, you're not empowering others to kind of pick themselves up by the bootstraps, you know, the whole Protestant American ethic. Uh, but l- l- when did when did this kind of go away? Is there is there any Historical knowledge, they, they, you know, I'm leaning on you, buddy, because I, I'm just trusting you got a lot better understanding of this because my Old Testament theology in school was next to Daffy Duck. So,
1: you know, it's interesting because my New Testament understanding in rabbinical school is much the same, it's very limited. But, you know, I think, I think, look, a large part of the big shift that happens. Uh, really happens two thousand years ago, and just for those that may not be familiar, two thousand years when ago. when Jesus was I mean, born. The Romans destroyed the temple, right? For the I, the you Romans know, the- destroyed the temple. just not going to sit here and talk about how like
2: the world changed because Jesus was born, okay? Like sure. the Romans destroyed <laughs> the temple, <laughs> they
1: go, they go okay? <laughs> right? But but I think I think also within that there's 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 a big 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 massive uh, uh, you know innovation that happens, which is that we stop in some way, we stop sacrificial worship and we sacrifice through the heart. So suddenly it's through prayer, right? The Romans destroy the temple. We don't rebuild a third temple. We effectively start sacrificing through prayer and through our own need. And I think when that happens in the year 70, I think the big shift in terms of temple worship definitely changes. So there are things that we did 2000 years ago that we no longer practice today. The Jubilee year, um you know in a mainstream jewish movement i think as reformed jews we don't practice the jubilee year um i think that stopped 2000 years ago are there communities that do I, I i'm sure i mean it's it's a great concept it's it, it's a beautiful concept uh but just one in mainstream jewish ideology and jewish movement um you know really stopped uh you know at the destruction of the temple
0: all right so let me bring in the big billy here so bill yeah, if we were to practice, cause you're, you, you, you also, I say, um, you, you, you mess around with, with being a, a low-key economist here. So ah! d- tell me, <laughs> you read some stuff, you read some stuff, my, you invest my, in some stuff.
2: Econ, if my econ professor at Swanee is hearing this, he's rolling his eyes and throwing things at the screen or definitely churning the channel. Uh, yeah, but absolutely. Um, okay. You raise a
0: lot of money, you know, millions of dollars. If if what would it look like if a major denomination, Jewish or Christian or Muslim, attempted something like this? Uh, how would this go over with the people? Do you think? Don't you think this that there would be some great division as, as as we know in America, how we will look at this this
2: idea of forgiving other debts or interest? Let let's be let's be really clear about when I'm talking about declaring a jubilee. That, my point of view, as someone who was raised Christian and raised in the Episcopal Church, that really comes from Jesus preaching in the temple, right, where he reads the, you know, he reads the Old Testament and then says, I'm here to declare this Jubilee in front of you, and people freaked out, right, I mean, it was, they lost their collective minds, who, how dare you, um, if we were to, as a denomination or as just the as as all of the Abrahamic traditions were to pick up whatever version of this jubilee that we have, which we all have a version of it, um, I, I once uh, I once got into a car accident and lost my vehicle, uh, and uh, a man from Turkey who was in Richmond, Virginia, studying, um, he was on the he was like a captain of the police force in, um, he I, I, I've i been to the city and I don't, I can't quite grasp it right now, but he basically gave me a car. Um, he saw it, he was there. And he said, look, you're in need and a person in need. And I had been to Turkey and we talked or whatever. And so he like gave me a car to use for a while. And so there's, um, and it was very grounded in his faith and his tradition, why he did that. It was a beautiful moment and an incredible moment. And so we all have a version of charity and we have versions of this like idea of Jubilee but when I'm talking about it, I'm, I'm really kind of playing with an idea that really is grounded in Rabbi Durbin's context that has a very, has a structure to it. Jubilee is a real thing. And so, um, you know, and, and I have to just kind of admit that there, there are ways in which I'm playing with an idea. And, and why am I doing that? It, it's because, look, over time, all of us have, are involved with, with institutions that have been supported By people from generations past. And those people donated and gave and left money to our institutions in good faith that we would be here, that we would utilize those resources to support the ministry and work and life of these institutions going forward. Well, as we look at the landscape of religion in America, right, and, you know, more globally, Uh, we have to start asking ourselves tough questions like what is the role of the institution and we can even talk about secular institutions for this matter in this culture we're in right now when so many people are anti-institutional what is the role of the institution Um, and so the question that I'm asking is like okay how can institutions especially well-resourced institutions play a more active role in the daily lives of the communities in which they're like in which they're grounded right so you know the this idea of we've heard of congregations This is one of my favorite stories is in alabama a congregation in alabama just bought up all the medical debt within like uh 40 square miles of their uh, their congregation it wasn't it was wasn't targeted to people who were episcopalian it just they just bought up all the medical debt and forgave it um, and, and they were able to do that because they were able to go and talk to these debt collectors and say, look, we're going we're gonna to offer you 20 cents on the dollar for all your medical debt and it's going to go away. Um, that, in essence, in my mind, is a form of jubilee. Now, I say that with all respect for the idea that, like, Rabbi Durbin, as you just described, that's not really, like, that's, that's, the, that's a little different. But there are things that we can do with our stored wealth, Right. And we have a lot of stored wealth that doesn't necessarily do a lot for our communities. That can help individuals and help groups of people out. Uh, And that's what I really am interested in doing. Right? Is is kind of flipping. You know, do we exist to support the institution, or does this institution exist to support us? Mm -hmm. And that's the question that we really have to grapple with in the twenty first century
1: around all of this stored wealth.
0: You know, that stored wealth.
2: Go ahead, Rabbi.
1: You know, it's interesting as as you mentioned in terms of you know those that have the ability to help. Mm-hmm. Almost in some way, we're saying those that have the ability have the responsibility and the obligation to help. It's the like, I remember, you know when I was in rabbinical school uh, in Europe, I mean it was it was very easy. The 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 movements of my college said if you wish, we will support you throughout your endeavor. We have big benefactors who have supported this institution but there is a catch and the catch is you must serve UK congregations for five years post ordination to be able to give back to our own culture and our own society so in some way even with the medical community to say look I I may be I may be have a lot of disposable income where I'm able to support others who may not be able to support themselves that there has to also be some buy-in in in some way to be able to say you need to empower yourself, right? 900 years ago, um, uh, a very famous sage by the name of Maimonides uh, lived in Spain and said the same thing. There are eight levels of giving, each one higher than the next. And the most important way of giving is not just to give, you know, Father Anderson uh, money, to give him a loan so that he can best empower himself to learn, to work, to get the skills to empower himself. And I think that sometimes in life, you know, like it or lump it, sometimes we need to put back our pride and to be able to put forward and say, I need a little help. I need a little assistance. I need help within my community or within the wider community. And those that have the ability to help empower others to really strengthen themselves so they can also empower others in in our society. Yeah. It's actually a beautiful concept.
2: It 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 is. I don't have like you know. Uh, my best friend graduated from the Naval Academy, and so he owed the Navy like what seven years after coming out of the Naval Academy. That's a, first of all, the Naval Academy is like one of the greatest educations you can get in the world. It's incredible, and so I have no problem with that. Um, people who graduate medical school and go and do ten years in Alaska, like first of all, it's a great TV show made about that northern exposure. But second of all, uh, it's a, it's a it's it's a good idea. Um, but you know this. One of the, like, I get in a lot of trouble talking about this uh, within my own denomination because I drive people crazy, especially, I mean, I'm a fundraiser, right? I, I raise money for institutions, and so some of my colleagues get a little crazy about these things, but, like, the question that I have around stored wealth, around reserve funds is, are we the wise squirrel putting nuts away so that we can survive the winter, or are we the Tolkien like dragon hoarding treasure and never letting anyone near it which one are we and I mean obviously the truth is somewhere in the middle but at some point we as especially these large denominations and large institutions we have to admit that like we have more resources than will like we have more resources than we have time left right? Um, And I don't want to be fatalistic. You know, this is the, the Episcopal church isn't going anywhere. We're not, but we do also have to be realistic. We have to, we have to acknowledge reality in order to solve the problems we face that our numbers are dwindling. We have all of these resources held. What do we, then what, what then shall we do? Um, And I think that we need to be having substantive conversations around what is the point of stored wealth that was meant to support an institution that is, Crumbling and failing, right? So then, what? Then what do we do? Um, and I think that there are ways in which we can enact a modern version of the Jubilee that could really help people. Let's forgive the student loan debt of all lay and uh, clergy staff of the Episcopal Church. Let's um, let's forgive the medical debt of all communities surrounding Episcopal congregations. Let's—I mean—and it doesn't have to be the Episcopal, whatever. But you know, we need to start having these kind of strategic conversations around what do we do with the stored wealth we just have
0: to there was a there is a great uh comment i heard one time uh, at, at i think it was a conference evangelism matters where i asked uh one of your colleagues bill and who, who's in big lay leadership in the church i said so what's what's the issue with the episcopal church why can't we budge in the 21st century what's going on and why do the numbers keep on dwindling and she said it's because the church is is can't get past good friday uh, and, and so what she meant by that and Rabbi Durbin is that the idea is that on Good Friday, Jesus is crucified, he's died. So we're just sitting there thinking about the potential fearful death of the church. So we're hoarding, we're trying to save, we're preserving And she's like, you have to go through Good Friday and say, some things are going to die. Let go of it. Because if you are a true Christian, you believe in the power of the resurrection. There's new life, which is going to look a little bit different. You still got the stigmata, but it's going to look a little different, but it's going to be better. And so her idea was, as Episcopalians, this historic congregation, we're still holding so much onto this institutional past that we're going to hoard, we're going to hold onto it, and we're going to miss the movement of the spirit that's trying to change and recreate what we could do. For this current generation and future generations and so you do have churches that have these huge endowments you have institutions that have enormous endowments and to build to your point it's like so are we holding on to it because we're so afraid of this huge rainy day that's coming and we got to hold on to the past right Uh, or we are we being wise and saying no we're being good stewards of the money where at some point you got to take the leap and say god is calling us to make a big splash and through it he might be recreating and redeveloping what his church looks like, not what our Episcopal Church, but what his church looks like. So, Rabbi, do you do you have that your historic tradition that folks you feel sometimes, or do you feel yourself um, sometimes just feeling like, ah, am I preserving, or am I nurturing and being open to really taking some some risks here with the resources that we have?
1: I mean, I think I think I think in some way too. You know, when when we unpack is understanding, you know, maybe we're conflating too many issues together, which is possible, but there's also that understanding, right, if I endow an institution, right, whether it be a synagogue, whether it be a church, a mosque, right, any religious institution, what am I really doing? Am I I doing it for myself? No, I'm doing it for the generations that are there, the subsequent generations who are not yet born, so that they know that they always have a home to worship, to pray, to access, and to be part of, right? I think that when we look at it, that is such an amazing, enduring gift that empowers so much. You know, look, we live in a world today where it costs money to run an institution. we got to spend money to make money, but at the same time, it, it, you have to find that balance within spirituality and connection to be able to make it powerful and meaningful. And I think, I think with, with that ability to be able to allow others to be free of, of some constraint and some burden upon themselves just makes such a huge impact. That, that I, I mean, even beyond words, I think, in terms of the, the, the greater, more impactful impact that it makes around the world.
2: Yeah. All
0: right. So this is good. When we come back in the second part of the show, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dip deeper into this. We're gonna take a break, so we get a breather and hear from the people who make this responsible. Um, good good benefactors like Bill Campbell, who'll probably support the show after he gets off. But uh, and when we come back, uh, what does it look like if if denominations, churches, synagogues, mocks went a little bit for broke, t- took took a big leap, as Bill's talking about? Uh, because are we at a place, at least in American religion? and historic religions that it's either you know what or get off the pot like go all in or just die the slow death because some people in the Episcopal church would say we only got another 20 and 30 years left and we keep on doing what we're doing maybe we could have another thousand years if we take a big risk and we're not afraid to sell some stuff go for it go for broke but we're going to get into that it's a little futuristic talk here in a priest and a rabbi we'll see you in just a couple minutes. Hey, everyone, it's Evan Nine, producer of A Priest and a Rabbi. Thank you for tuning in and being part of this community. We love developing new partnerships with this podcast to help further the interfaith movement. To join us, please email Father Christian at Christian at gmail.com. You can have an advertisement right here on this podcast, which is currently heard across the USA and in 34 other countries. Thanks for being here, and do not forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you're listening from. Now back to A Priest and a Rabbi. Welcome back to the award-winning Priest and a Rabbi radio show with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin. Let's get ready for the second half of the show. Bill Campbell is here on A priest and a Rabbi, part two. This is Father Christian Anderson next to the best-looking rabbi this side of the Jordan River, Rabbi Durbin. Uh, And we are continuing this talk about uh, a year of jubilee. How can modern religion, at least here in America, take some big risks uh, to really change the landscape of how we approach doing God's work? Or are we being preservationists and holding on to these nice museums because that's how it was back in the day, but we're not really truly listening to where God might be calling us, which might be really uh, taking some big financial risks and being very generous and giving it all away. That's where we left off. Right. Um, before we jump into that, Bill Campbell, I don't know if you, you're old enough to know this, that voice you heard uh, leading us back into the second part of the show. Is an Emmy award-winning game show host. Um, if you can figure out who that is, you can get a free priest and a rabbi T-shirt that we haven't made yet. Okay, you have the rest of the show to figure that out. So, um, so we want to go into this. That um, Bill, do you think as you look, you see, you probably see more of the Episcopal Church than I do. I mean, you, you see a lot of it on the road all the time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're on the road, you're organizing, you're the man when I when I need to know something I I, you are you're you're on the speed dial, um, because you know everyone, do you think that our blessed denomination, and maybe let's say all like all mainline denominations and and Rabbi Durbin you will, I want to hear your point on this too. Have a tendency to be more preservationists as opposed to innovators, or what's the word I'm looking
2: for? Yeah, I, let's talk about let's talk about conservatorship, right? So it's it's conservation, not conservatorship. Forgive me. So conservation, right? So we have a conservation mindset, and for good reason. Um, you went to Virginia Theological Seminary, and so, uh, which is a wonderful seminary where you got excellent Old Testament education, um, and <laughs> <laughs> shout out to... That was all, my, that was all me. I
0: was the one goofing off.
2: Uh, that wasn't so our Shout teacher, out to Dr. Me. Cook, our Old Testament faculty. Shout, shout out to Cook, me. man. published yeah, man. Amazing. So, um, you know, we, we, what we teach, what we teach clergy, and, and in essence, what we then teach ourselves is that like liturgy matters, right? And so we have to have a place to enact our liturgy and through liturgy, we're saving the world. I don't disagree with that, but there's, there's, so then we wind up with this conservation mindset. And so we are inherently conservative with our, with the bricks and mortars of our institution, right? And so the Episcopal Church's theology can be, some people say it's aggressively progressive and there's plenty of people who say it's aggressively conservative, and so we have this middle way of the Episcopal Church, and proud we are of all of that. Um, but, you know, I, Rabbi Durbin, you said, what you said, like, right before break is is really important because, yeah, there is a sense with which, you know, my grandmother gave money to the Baptist Church in perpetuity so that the Baptist Church at the end of Walton Way in Augusta, Georgia would always be there, right? And so now, First Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, has got like twenty thousand members, and it ain't going anywhere anytime soon. But we have a real problem in in the Episcopal Church, and it's not we're not the only ones. I'll just I'll speak about the Episcopal Church, where we have endowed churches with lots of money who have like no parishioners. Um, they no longer need a building, but this money is stored up. I mean, there's <laughs> there, are, there are congregations in my state, in Virginia, that have like three clergy and five parishioners. Right. I mean, and so like, you know, it's it's because they have this endowment. And so my worry, right. So we're talking about fear earlier, my fear, and this is going to be kind of dark. So just hold on. Is that, you know, when I drive around the South where I'm from, I go, I go through these old communities where nothing exists anymore, except like, you know, like the chimney stack, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever driven through and like all that's left of a house is the chimney stack. Right. Our endowments in the Episcopal Church are going to be the chimney stacks. That's it. <laughs> that's all that's going to be left of some of these places. And my, my hope is that we have some way of, of, of breaking out of this mindset, right? And so, like, uh, Christian, I thought, I think you mentioned the rainy day. I mean, the kind of talking point I always get to is that, like, if we uh, can agree, and not everyone does, But if we can agree that a lot of our reserve money is a rainy day fund, what storm are we waiting on, right? We've seen the absolute crumbling of faith and institutions in this country, and and not just here, in in, in other parts of the world. Um, People don't believe that we're relevant. People don't believe that we have anything that can help them. Um, They come to us, especially in the Episcopal Church, they come to us to baptize their babies get married and bring their grandkids in every once in a while. and like, that, that's kind of the rhythm we're in. Well, what do we stand for if we don't stand for something that is rooted in Christ, which is why I love this idea of Jubilee, right? So when I talk about these things and people, you know, and particularly like my family who still lives in Augusta Georgia, it's like, well, that sounds like socialism and communism and all these things. But like, if only we had this idea that was grounded in an ancient faith, grounded in the words of Jesus, and clearly biblical, right? Well, we have this idea of jubilee, right? And so we have this. We do have a we do have a biblical command to do this work, um, but not necessarily, as Rabbi Durbin pointed out at the beginning of the show, not necessarily exactly in the way I'm describing. But it just so happens that I belong to a denomination that, that that has the ability to do this, right? We have the ability to do what I'm talking about.
0: If you were going to, so and said, said, okay, Bill, what would be, if we were going to do that, give me a 10-year plan. What would that look like? If we could go all in, the denomination says, we want to make a big splash. Well, yeah, we only have 30 years left, and we feel like the Spirit is calling us to do something, to do something large. Stop playing it safe, because that's where God is calling us. And if that folds all of our money and we close up shop, so be it. If that leads to something really amazing and powerful, makes more disciples, and the church takes a whole new Look great, but we're all in. What What would be the first? What would What would that tenure plan look like? Or even the first step.
2: Let's just admit uh, the way uh, institutions and bureaucracy works, and say so. The first thing we do is we convene a study group to study the problem. And while all the people are in the middle of that study group, we, we, we give them lots of work and give them lots of time and pull lots of people together so that we can seal them in a room and lock the door. And then while they're doing that, um, look, I mean, you know, there's other places that have already done this work. There there are things that we can do to study, like, okay, how many people in our neighborhoods and uh, in, in the, in the communities surrounding our outposts, right? Let's think about our Let's think about where the Episcopal Church is and think about us as outposts. Around our outposts, how many of them are suffering from debilitating student loan debt, debilitating medical debt? Um, I haven't even talked about credit card debt. I think that's a bridge too far. Um, I don't think that we as a country would all rally behind just like erasing credit card debt. I just, I mean, I would personally love that. It would be great, but um, that's probably a bridge too far. But student loan debt and medical debt would be pretty powerful, right? And then, you know, you all, we just need to have a few conversations with a few different types of economists to say, okay, what is the net positive, net negative around this, right? And so what would this do to the economy? Um, and we've already had, a, we're already having a large conversation in our country around student loan debt, um, erasing student loan debt, and has become a political conversation that's unfortunate because it's well within our power to do it, um, And we should be having a substantive conversation about it, whether or not it's a good thing or not. Um, But medical debt is a great example of something that I think is probably not like I think I think 20 years from now, we as an entire country will look back on the way in which we handle medical debt and think of it as a sin. Um, And if you are Christian and you espouse a Christian ethic, um, you probably can't really clear your theology with with what medical debt looks like right now. Um, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get hate mail over that. I'm sure. But, you know, look, um, well, NYU medical
0: school would would line up with you, right? It was not NYU medical school. The one that said we want to contribute to make it a free education because we're, uh, we were just producing, uh, doctors who have to go into specialized medicine in order to make money. And we need more doctors out there who are going to fight the good fight for the common man and not just for all these specialized. So so have no medical debt. So therefore you produce
2: doctors like, okay, great. I'll go be a that's, pediatrician that's because student, that's student loan medical school debt. Right. But like what I'm talking about is like someone's kidney fails in this country. Right. right. And they go on dialysis and they lose everything. Yeah. Right. And even if they have health insurance, right. That's a problem. We, that we don't have a good solution for because universal health care is a political issue. Healthcare is a political issue um and then what do churches what have some churches done they've just gone and bought up uh all medical debt that's in collection and forgiven it i think that's a radically wonderful christian idea um and i don't think it has to just be a christian idea um and i
1: think that there's such added benefits at the end because you know even you know father anderson you mentioned it as well in terms of productivity right if i work with this with this yoke and this 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 burden on my shoulders am i really going to put 100 percent of myself into it or am i always going to have that that thing on the back of my shoulder weighing me down knowing it, it, it it's 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 this is this is too overwhelming it's too much as opposed to being able to do the craft and, the, you know, the talents to which we have to really inspire and make the world a better place, whether it be through medicine, whether it be through education, you know, for, for, for those debt in some way to be annulled or to be canceled really makes such a huge morale uh, uh, amongst so many right. uh, that actually productivity will be on the rise. I mean, it's the same analogy we would use with, you know, France's, you know, work week. You know, I think when you look at the UK and you look at Europe, you know, they're on a 40, 45 hour work week. I mean, France has come out and said, we do 30 hours. That's it. And what do we see? People spend much more time with their families. They're, they're, they're sleeping better. They're happy and excited to go to work. Right. It, it, it's productivity is actually like 120 percent much better because we've lowered in some way the expectation.
0: And they become really exemplified linguists who become snobs about their own language. So maybe they need to work forty hours just to get some more humility on how I they love, approach I, the language.
2: I studied French throughout school, and and been in love. I I love French culture and everything, and yet I just never think of lifting them up as the bright shining example of almost anything. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, uh, I mean, you're right though. I mean, it, it, it's. This is this is the other piece of this, right? Is like the human spirit, right? And so, like we we have these souls that need to be nourished, and debt crushes people, right? I mean, the United States Bankruptcy Court is uh, a mile from me, and the people coming in and out of there are broken. They are broken, um, and they are broke, and they are broken. Um, and not all debt we can't. I I can't. What I'm suggesting doesn't fix all debt, right? But um, this, the, like one of, the, and I, I really like to harp on medical debt, and, I, and I, I like to talk about student loan debt a lot too, just because of how ridiculous our system is. Um, by the way, did you know? Did y'all know that um, graduate school enrollment is on the rise, but college enrollment has dropped significantly um, in the pandemic because people don't want to take on debt right now. Um, and so, well, we 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 have a, we have these issues around like we need people to be healthy and we need people to be educated in order for our society to function properly. But we have systems that that penalize people for getting educated and getting healthy um and so that is not like there's no partisanship in that like we want a booming economy let's educate and let's educate people and get them healthy and let's get them healthy without destroying their mental health right um we can't have productive workers if their mental health is in the gutter we know we have a mental health crisis in this country We know we have, uh, by the way, we know we have an economic crisis with soldiers returning from war and our veterans. We have a mental health crisis with our veterans. Those two are related. We know they're related. We don't seem to be willing. We don't have the will to fix it, to do something to alleviate the stress and burden. Um, We lack will, not resources. This is the problem, right? This is the real problem. And it's it's a problem in our country. It's a problem globally. We don't lack for the mechanism to fix the problem, we lack the will. Um, and I, I am someone who has a great deal of will to do something radical, something interesting for the love of God. Can we just do something interesting um, that would perhaps <laughs> change our fates and, and maybe like, reduce people's misery on this planet? Please. Can we do something <laughs> you know,
0: like, <laughs> you know, you're right though. The, the, if we really could align ourselves with the vision of God, we do have all the resources as a global community to stop genocide, to stop the wars, to stop civil strife, to stop, um, uh, um, st- we, could alleviate hunger.
2: we could alleviate hunger by five o'clock today. Like we could do it by five o'clock. Like we, we, that's, it's, it's the water
0: crisis, the yeah. environmental issues <laughs> if you get on the same page. Uh, And we're just stuck in tribalism. uh, And what's mine, what's yours, et cetera, et cetera. So the pushback against us, of course, is going to be so great. The Episcopal Church comes out and then or whomever does this, you start a movement. Bill gets in line with the head of the Reformed Judaic movement. And you guys say, great, we have billions of dollars to play with. We're going to start eradicating medical um, and, and educational debt because we believe that's where God is calling us. Um, then all the people who just work their tail off to pay off their school student loans debt are going to be really upset. So I think that just comes with the territory
2: when you play this game. Right, well, no, I mean, my wife is upstairs. She has an amazing job. She has worked hard her entire life. She absolutely crushed it in college. She's one of the hardest working people I know. She paid off all of her student loan debt like five years out of school because she worked hard, she sacrificed, she did the things. I mean, she has this like great American Puritanical work ethic that we all dream of, and like I understand that that is that what I am suggesting is unfair to her, right? She has amazing healthcare because she has these great she has a great job because she's worked hard to get this great job, right? If I have because of I'm married to this most amazing woman, I have access to that as well. So I sit on a great deal of privilege um, to be saying this, and yet like we live in a system that not everyone has access to that no matter what, right? My wife worked very hard. She's earned all of this stuff in her life. And yet there are other people who work insanely hard and don't have the opportunity to earn this stuff. And so we just have to be, I mean, we just have to be willing to say, yep, labor is in the vineyard. It's not exactly going to be fair, but it's going to be right. Right? Like fairness is overrated. It really is. It's not the kingdom of God. There's nothing about the kingdom of God that's fair life isn't fair i mean we we love telling we love telling people well life ain't fair right and like what's the other one that's the other one that was being screamed out all over the place on january 6th f your feelings or whatever life's not fair whatever but then when we when we actually talk about doing something that probably isn't fair but is right or well that's not fair well, i mean yeah it's not fair but it's right it is meat right so to do and, and it would be a blessing uh rabbi durman uh allow, if you would allow me it would be a mitzvah it would be a blessing it would be a great thing in the world um but it's not fair and i don't care about fairness
0: in this context rabbi what's your take on this so so this idea yeah you know, i'm with you man i mean that's the big part of pastoral past when when you're when you're pastoring to someone uh you start right there the life i mean fairness is overrated it is so but where, where do you find god in in this whatever conflict you're in, whether it's health issues, it's you right. lost to life. You did something like life. Life can suck sometimes, but right. God is in the suck. And so that's what I think. I
1: think it's also the ability to recognize and to validate that, you know, so often we don't validate the fact that, you know, sometimes life is unfair. Sometimes things don't go the way that we hope. Um, you know, is that God? I mean, in, in my mind, yes. Um, you know, we have to learn the path or the ways for ourselves which would be very different from individual to individual but i think that there's something there of acknowledging especially you know in uh, as you said in a pastoral setting you know i've gone to visit many people i I, i've gone to visit people where they say look i'm I'm actively dying why is god doing this to me i've lived a good life i've done this i've done that i don't have an answer for you i mean all i can do is i can pray with you i can listen to you i can validate your concerns and i'm empathetic yeah Sometimes life sucks. Sometimes life sucks. But also, maybe there's the way of looking at it as although life is challenging and life is throws us lemons, how do we make lemonade? How do we take that negativity or that challenge and put it into a positive? And 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 I'm not and, and not trying to minimize the words because sometimes it's just not possible. And sometimes I think that that we are stuck in some way. And, and, you know, to go back on that jubilee, how do we release ourselves from our own burden? Right, right.
0: I, I think, and I think that's what I like about Bill, is a Bill's saying, <laughs> I think, at least in my denomination, sometimes we play small ball. We just play small ball. We're, we're okay with the, with the base hits. And when I saw Bill and his team put together Rooted in Jesus, which got together all these big five major conferences, I was like, finally, we're, we're swinging for the bleachers. And that took a tremendous amount of work and political savvy and funds and getting bishop barber there i mean the whole thing was incredible it was it started a new movement it it, it, it put a wow David. we can make a change of difference but so so then so then now so that's what i'm thinking that that we need to start swinging for the bleachers it's, it's forget the small ball. you know who does this really well evangelicals evangelicals swing for the bleachers whether you like it or not they are outside the box creative innovative they don't care what you think they're going to hit a home they're going for they're not going for a base hit
2: forget it. They're not afraid of failure because they, they, I, I hate this like B school talk within our denomination that comes with, but they do have an entrepreneurial mindset where like churches fail. We try and fail and that's okay. There's no problem with that. Right. I mean, some of these leading evangelical pastors started like seven churches before they got to the one that's working right now. Right. And they don't, that's just not a problem. Like they don't go, Oh, well that failed. You're you're you are no longer worthy because of failure right and and our denomination does not reward failure at all right um and so what we wind up doing is we, we play prevent defense right which is uh, right if any of y'all, y'all watch the good place one of my favorite characters on the show said the only thing prevents prevent defense does is prevent you from winning and so you know i mean we we, we have to have a different mindset for this
0: i love it it's so true is your religion is your house of worship let me ask you this right now playing prevent defense out there is it just trying to do enough to get by so everyone feels loved and good in their little community but in 20 years it might be gone um and what's the impact i mean i think the impact always is we think about this at st mary's if st mary's was to get plucked up and removed from martin county right now would anyone miss us would anyone miss us are we making that big of an impact upon the community that surrounds us, or are we just a country club for ourselves? But are we really doing the things and risking enough where people it, are being served and loved by God, and we're hitting big, big benchmarks that are needed in Martin County? We felt the pain in Martin County want to go on there and do it. So we're kind, constantly trying to ask ourselves there to humble ourselves and to figure out what risks, what big challenges do we need to take? But I oh Rabbi's also, coming with something big. He's up at the back, he's but, up at the back.
1: It's interesting, Father, as you said, would anyone in Martin County notice if St. Mary's was no? longer in existence right you guys have mary shelter you have you you have started something in this county that is well ingrained that is an important service for the community whether it be the christian community or the wider community itself yet your 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 absence would definitely be felt because of the work of previous benefactors to ensure the fact that this this institution serves for a purpose and for meaning for, for all who enter. Well, that, that, but, well no, I, I, I'm with you. Thank you. And, but you hit upon a
0: good mark which we don't have time to delve into, which is we're losing the greatest generation and we're losing another generation that believes... And supporting it, the, the the believes in the institution of the church, the historic part of it, and they will give their will, they will give their money, they will tithe. And now we got some new generations like, oh, this is cool, and they'll throw a couple bucks in the plate. So it is. Let's you see, know,
2: let's be fair to Gen Z, which is what you're talking about. You're not actually talking about millennials. You and I are millennials. We have kids now. Millennials are all old, and everyone needs to get off beating up on millennials. Gen Z looks at problems in a different mindset. One, they are walking into a world that is an absolute cluster of not of their creation, right? I mean, this is like, y'all, this is like pre-World War II. It'd be like turning 20 right before World War II. How would you feel about that? So you know, what we have to show them is that the role of the institution, that institutions have a positive influence in the world and in their lives, not a place of like, we're not a bunch of dragons hoarding wealth and making everyone miserable, right? That's not what institutions are. And we have to show them, we have to be good. We have to have good faith on ourselves to expect good faith from them to show them that that, like we can help, we can do things, be part of the institutions that can actually make a change. Billy, this is so good. If people have been
0: like, man, I like this Billy Mays guy. How do can, did you are you on the socials so people can hear more of your incredible yeah, thoughts I, um i'm a i'm a lurker on pretty
2: much all social media you can find me on facebook uh you can find me on twitter uh instagram i'm campbell family values i posted like eight, <laughs> the entire time that i've been on instagram uh on twitter i think my twitter handle is like Camp bill one or i'm like I, I don't know anyway it doesn't matter look Find me around. uh, You can go to the ECF website. It's ecf.org. You can find me there. You can always reach out to me there. I'm happy to keep talking about this stuff. I mean, it's, um, it's important. It's valid. And then also if you're an institution or your congregation and you want to talk fundraising, uh, I'm happy to sit around and talk around fundraising and strategy. And then the Episcopal church foundation has amazing resources at your disposal around ministry, Christian formation, planned giving if you have an endowment that you won't manage we do endowment management and we do it with an ethic uh, and with a real spirit with the holy spirit behind us and we love the work that we do so please
0: bill thank you so much i will attest it uh, st mary's did reach out to you guys when we started to really delve deeper into our heritage fund slash endowment fund and you guys sent an incredible amount of ma- material so it, it, it is good stuff it's real good stuff uh, thank you for being on the show Thank you for comping the ticket indeed. for Zoom Airlines and flying in today. Uh, thank you to your wife for allowing you just to be you. And we we pray for her every day. And she, for your she needs child. the prayers
2: indeed. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, everyone. Uh, this is another episode. If you missed any part of this episode, you can always go on to the podcast. And we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. And even if you can't stand us, please leave a comment saying how much you can't stand us. Because that, that helps our analytics. Because as Cardi B says, even my hay doesn't make me big. So we, why did I give Cardi B a Southern accent? I don't know. But anyways, Rabbi Durbin, I know you got exciting stuff. You guys go see Rabbi Durbin over at his temple. Go pray with this community on this day of Shabbat. Shabbat will start soon. Um, And for everyone else, come on over to the Episcopal Church here on Sunday. Um, You can even come to the 9 o'clock Mass, which is the happy, clappy, evangelical-like Mass, um, or the more traditional stuff at 10 a.m. All right, everyone. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you on the flip side. Peace.